It's all about who you know, and that statement is very true. I discovered how true it was many years ago when a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, invited me to have a seat at the table with leadership expert John Maxwell. So for an entire afternoon, I was face-to-face with Maxwell, was inspired, laughed, had great fellowship, and it would never have happened if it had not been for my friend's very good relationship to John. The question I want to ask you this weekend is how do you get a seat at the table with God? How do you get invited into the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? To answer that question, I want you to turn open to 1 John, little epistle the Apostle John wrote in the New Testament. And while you're doing that, I want to welcome all of you and let you know that this is the third message in our four-part series, The God Who Can Be Known. Next weekend, we'll end this series. One more message that uh, has to do with how we grow in our relationship with God, and you won't want to miss that out of Second Peter. But this weekend, how do I get into fellowship with God? How do I get into fellowship with God? John writes, and he says this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Let's stop there for a moment because... John is already telling us that he wants to convey something to us that he's had a physical reality with. He's touched, he's seen, he's heard. This is an idea, this is in a philosophy, this is in him telling us about somebody that you know, lived before his time. This is real time for John. He says in the passage of Scripture, he says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So He's given now a name to that which he has seen, heard, and touched. He goes on in the next verse. He says, the life appeared. So now we know it's a person. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. So it's not just life. This is, this is life without beginning and life without end, which was with the Father. Now we have a personal sense and has appeared to us. And of course, he's talking about Jesus. So in essence, what John is saying to us is this. The way, you get a seat, the way you get a seat at the table with God is by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We've seen him, we've heard him, we've touched him, we experienced him. He's the one that we're proclaiming to you. Now, the challenge for those reading what John has written is believing that indeed Jesus is the Son of God, just like that's a challenge for each one of us or a challenge for your coworkers, your peers, your friends at school or whoever it might be, maybe even in your family is indeed Jesus, the Son of God. That's the question John the Baptist, not to be confused, John the Apostle had. And John the Baptist, by the way, was the guy who early on introduced Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said, I know, I bear witness. God told me that is the Son of God. But when he ends up in prison and he's facing death, John has a bout with doubt. How many of you have ever had a bout with doubt besides me? And maybe you have one even now. And usually doubt comes when things don't work the way we think they should, when God doesn't show up as we sometimes like to say. That's maybe a little bit of a different message. I've talked about that before. But John has a question, and he sends his friends to go ask Jesus the question in Luke chapter 7. And the question is, okay, are you really the Son of God? Are you the one, or should we be looking for somebody else? And when they go and they ask Jesus, he sends this answer back to John. He says, tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are healed. Tell him that 
the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life again. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And the poor had the gospel preached to them. John, the apostle, says, that's what we witnessed. We witnessed all these miracles of his. We witnessed his message. But think about it. John would have also then witnessed the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the promise of Jesus he'll come back again, and the commission of Jesus, go and tell everybody else that they also have a seat at the table if they come into relationship with me. John says, that is what we're here to talk to you about. We want you to come into this relationship that we've discovered. And he goes on in the passage, and he says this. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, who makes it possible to have a seat at the table of the Father. But then look what he says. We write this to make... Now, I expect him to say, we write this to make your joy complete. But it's not what he says. He says, we write this to make our joy complete. What does he mean by that? He says, in other words, he's saying, it is an absolute joy for us when we get to invite you to sit at the table with us, with God. God gave us the invite, and then he gave us the invite to give to you. What does that look like? Well, many years ago, Marcia and I were living in the San Francisco Bay Area, pastoring and ministering there. At that time, the Alameda Naval Air Base was still open, and the big ships and aircraft carriers would come in and go back out, and the, the sailors and officers would take leave, and we had a sailor in our church. And uh, he was aboard the newly commissioned at that time, USS Abraham Lincoln. And one day, and I didn't know him that well, one day he walked up to me, he said, Pastor, he said, uh, every year uh, we have this day where if we're in port, we're allowed to invite our family to join us for a day of sailing on whatever ship we're on, and I'm on the USS Abraham Lincoln aircraft carrier. I don't have any family here. Would you, would you like to go with me? And I said, let me think about that for a moment. Yes! Man, I would love to go with you. What an awesome experience. Brand new aircraft carrier. Wow. And then he said this to me. He said, I have three more invites. I don't know who to invite. So you just pick whatever three you want to bring along, and they'll be considered part of my family as well. And I was like, really? He says, yes. So the first one I invited was my, my oldest son, who was a little boy at that time. And he was very excited. I think he was as excited about getting out of school as he was on being on the aircraft carrier. And then I went to my two neighbors who I was discipling, and I said, would you guys like to go? And they about jumped out of their skin. And so we boarded the ship that day. Imagine this. We get escorted out of Alameda through the San Francisco Bay by helicopters and these smaller ships underneath the Golden Gate. We turn left, go south, off the Monterey Peninsula. And then we had, then we had an air show. Different types of planes landed and took off from the aircraft carrier. It was unbelievably exciting. But I want, I want you to know that for me, there was a greater joy. And the greater joy was the joy of watching my son and my neighbors have an absolute blast and knowing that I had the privilege of inviting them to come along, a privilege that was passed on to me by that sailor. John says, that's how I feel about telling you about Jesus. It's just an absolute privilege. Do you feel that way? I think sometimes as Christians, we almost act like it's an embarrassment 
or, a, or this huge weight we carry around. I gotta invite people to church. I don't, even want to, I don't want you to think about inviting people to church. I want you to think about inviting them to sit at the table with you in relationship to Christ. And maybe that's our problem. Maybe we focus too much on inviting people to church when what we want to focus on is inviting them to a relationship or to share in our relationship with Christ. I get to do that a little bit later on today. I met a man who's of a different faith, you know, of a different ethnicity, and we've, we've kind of struck up a bit of a friendship, and, and, and we're starting to have conversations about God, and I'm so excited because I can't wait to invite him to have a seat at the table with me as I sit at the table with God and with other believers in Christ as well. So what does it mean to be part of the fellowship of God? What does it mean to be in fellowship with God? I got a couple of thoughts I've jotted down. Maybe you want to jot them down as well. And the first one is simply this, that walking with God, finish it with me, please, is all about relationship and not religion. And that is so very true. It's all about relationship and not religion. We have a tendency to turn it into religion, however. You know, when God first called Abraham to follow him, and then Abraham's family, Israel, he said to them, you're in relationship with me. That's what I crave. That's what I desire. I'm a living being. But as a sign of this relationship with me, I want all the males to be circumcised. I want you to all observe certain festivals and feasts and sacrifices. Kind of like my wedding ring, which I used to be able to get off this morning. I can't get it off anymore. This wedding ring is a symbol of my marriage to my wife, Marcia, and her ring is a symbol of her marriage to me. But it's just a symbol of our deep love that we have for each other. Well, later on, when you get the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, God is upset with Israel, and he's upset with them because he says, your hearts are far from me. You observe religion. You make the sacrifices. You hold the festivals. You get circumcised. Those of you who are males, you go through all the performance, but your heart is from me. You're actually committing adultery, spiritual adultery. It would be like, it would be like a person who wears their wedding ring, but they're having an affair with somebody else. The ring is of no value because the love isn't there. And God says the love isn't there. In Jeremiah chapter 9, he says, I wish you'd circumcise your hearts. I want you to throw away your sin, your disobedience. I want your attention, not some dumb idol that you have. Not, you know, your, your immorality and whatever sexual sins you're practicing and whatever greed and gluttony and, and uh, extortion you're practicing on each other. He says, I want your full devotion. I want you to show me your love by being, by being deeply committed to me. And that's what God wants in your life and God wants in my life is this is this relationship with him. He wants us to be in relationship. Let's talk a little bit more what it looks like to be in relationship, because walking with God means daily delighting in his presence. You know, if you're a husband and married to your wife, wife married to your husband, you wear the ring, you say you love each other, you, you delight in each other, right? I mean, you have your moments, you don't get along, but you, hopefully you delight in each other. You delight in your children, your grandchildren, your friends. God says, delight in me, I'm real. I, I desire that from you. So Friday, I decided to go out for a bike ride. Got a road bike this, this past summer, and, and I, I've been practicing, and I like to get out and ride. And I went uh, west uh, out of St. Bonnie on one of the trails there, past Lake Waconia, out in the country. 
I did it like about 27, 28 mile uh, ride. And, and I tell you that because when I ride, I ride like hard. I don't do anything, you know, 50%. It's always 110%. So it was windy Friday. I'm trying to keep a 20 plus average mile per hour uh, speed uh, during the ride. And so I'm just like going, 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 going around people, you know, having to stop, having to go again. I'm just like cranking out the first uh, 14 or 15 miles. And I'm on the way back and I'm cranking away. And, uh, and all of a sudden God spoke to me. Now there's no clap of thunder. There's no voice. There's no angel standing on the trail saying, stop. All right. But I got this overwhelming sense from God to slow down and to become aware of him. It was as though God was saying to me, you are just, you are just breezing by so many things that if you were to pay attention to them, you'd become more aware of me and we could have a, we could have some fellowship here on this bike ride. So I slowed down and I started to pay attention to what was around me. I started to listen. I started to watch. And I tell you what, it was, I just became so overwhelmed with God. I saw this grove of maple trees. There must have been 40 or 50 of them on a farm off in the distance a little ways. And the leaves hadn't fallen yet. And they were burnt orange and as bright red as, as you could be. And I about fell off my bike. It was so beautiful. And it made me think about God. It made me think about his beauty. It made me realize that God is an artist. That every leaf is particular. Like every snowflake, none of them are different, right? It's all unique and it's all so beautiful. And it's just God's idea. And I delighted in God. And then the neatest thing happened. Kind of one of those things that sends shivers up your spine. I was coming around the, the north shore of Lake Waconia on the trail. And the wind was really blowing hard. And I happened to glance up. And when I glance up, there is this eagle right above me that is soaring. He's catching the current, you know, the, the, the wind. And what was so unique about it is that he stayed with me for the next mile. Like he didn't move. He didn't go this way. He didn't go that way. It's just like he stayed with me. And I'm trying to keep my eye on the trail. And I'm trying to look up and watch, right? And I, I just became very aware of God. And for me, it was like God saying to me, I'm always watching over you. Whether you realize it or not, I'm always there. I'm always watching over you. And it was just a very, I even got a little, got my phone out and tried not to crash and got a little picture of it. It was just so beautiful. Now, I would not have noticed that grove of trees. I would not have seen that eagle. I would not have had those moments with God if I just kept pedaling really fast to accomplish my goal. I had to slow down. And there's some of you, I just included me, right, who are missing out on delighting in God because you are so frantic, so busy, got to be about your agenda, on to the next thing, and you're missing God. You're missing God. You're missing his shouts, you're missing his whispers, you're missing his display of his glory all around you. And then, you know, when you're really up against it, then you wonder where he is. And it's like, he's always been there. You just weren't paying attention. You just weren't paying attention. He's always been there. It was my mom's 89th birthday this week. And so I just, it's actually today and uh, um, I couldn't be there and so I flew down really quick this week, and I was with them. And, you know, they're at a, a, just a challenging time in their life, age and struggles and whatnot. And we were riding in the car, and I was taking them back home. And then all of a sudden, there's this full rainbow over the road. Like, you can see it on both ends. And I'm like, Mom, Mom, look, look, look at the rainbow. And she just had cataract surgery. And I'm like, oh, I can't see. <laughs> and I'm like, 
It's really there, trust me. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And again, I, I thought about the rainbow and I thought, and I, I told her, I said, isn't that neat that God's blessing us and you today with that promise that that rainbow means? Are you delighting in God? Let's move on. Walking with God means following the path he lays out in his word and not the ideas or feelings I have about him. Now, I wanted, that, I wanted that point to follow the one I just gave you, where I focused a lot on feelings and emotions, because I have to make sure that my emotions, my feelings are always governed by the truth, because there's a real danger when my feelings and my ideas become my truth. That's when you end up in heresy. That's when you end up with wrong notions about God. And I see it happening in our culture, and I'm sorry to say, and I know you hear it from me, I'm just going to keep saying it because it's a problem today. I see it happening even in the, quote, evangelical culture, where we so want to compromise, we so want to be accepted by the world that we're finding ways to try to say what the world wants us to say so we'll be accepted, so we'll be liked, especially our youth. Especially our youth. It's really hard for them. God says, you know, you got to make sure your ideas, your thoughts about me are in alignment with what I have revealed about myself. Look what he says in 1 John. He says, this is the message we have heard from him. So it's not our message. This is something we're making up. And declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. You won't find untruth with God. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the what? The truth, right? He goes on, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word, the word of God is not in us. Now, John's dealing with new believers who are getting mixed up with Gnosticism, which is just a form of mysticism not based in God's word. And so some of them think they can be fully Christian and have their habit of sin, and that's okay. Others think they just don't sin anymore. And John's saying, look, let's go back to who Jesus is. Let's go back to the truth. You've got to live your life by the truth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the uh, theologian, wrote and said, if it is I who say where God will be, if I'm the one who defines God, if I say, well, I believe God this, or I feel God that, if it is I who say where God will be, I will always find there a God who in some way corresponds to me, is agreeable to me, fits in with my nature. You hear what Bonhoeffer say? I've got to take my subjective thoughts and feelings and put them under the umbrella of God's sovereignty. So in Psalm 119, David wrote this. He said, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I'm going to live my life based on what your objective truth says. Is that how you're living your life? If you want a fellowship with God, it's got to be from the truth, by the truth, around the truth. And not just my subjective, subjective feelings about what the truth might mean. Next, walking with God means communicating with him daily. Walking with God means communicating with him daily. A couple of years ago, I think it was in July, I did a sermon series on prayer, and I asked the question. I said, who speaks first, God or you? And the tendency is to say, well, we speak first, and that's wrong. God always speaks first. Prayer is just a response to what God has already said. You say, well, what did God ever speak? His word. The word of God is not a textbook. The word of God is not history only. The word of God is not prophecy only. 
The word of God is not just good wisdom. The word of God is his revealed personal word to you and me. That's why the Bible says about itself, it is living and active. It's God's voice reverberating throughout history. It has meaning for you and me today. So when I read God's word, I always start with God, what do you want to say to me today? The right posture, the right attitude. Now, I personally have been reading lately through the book of Isaiah. I've been reading very slow. Sometimes just one, maybe two or three chapters at the most. I use an electronic Bible when I do that, and I highlight the verses where I think God is saying something to me. I sense this is for me today. After I'm done highlighting those verses, sometimes just one, sometimes it's several verses, I have the discipline of writing out all those verses. Because there's something that happens mentally when you not only read something, but when you speak it out loud or when you actually write it out, not keyboard, actually write it out. It's like it gets deeper into your soul and deeper into your mind. And then I use that to inform how I pray to God about me, about my family, about you, about our staff, about our elders. So every day, God's given me certain aspects of how to pray to him about lots of things. And I, I should be amazed, but I'm amazed at how clear God speaks to me sometimes. It's like he knows and knew where I was going to be and had his word aligned to speak to me then because God is sovereign. And so the other day I was wrestling, I was just wrestling with, you know, being firm in these days when there's just so much wavering when it comes to the faith and wavering when it comes to speaking the truth and speaking out about the truth. And I'm just struggling with that guy. What's the right balance? And what does this look like? And what does this mean for, you know, for weeks? And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9, God spoke to me. And he said in the New Living Translation, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. And I just, it was so clear to me that day. And what God was saying is you need, to, you need to just be settled in what you believe. Be settled in what you believe and I'll make you firm. I'll make you strong. Don't worry about the waves that are tossing around you. Remember when Peter stepped out of the boat in the Gospels? Started walking on water. But when he took his eyes off Christ and saw the waves, what happened? He began to sink. It was almost as though the Lord is saying, keep your eyes on me, keep your eyes on the truth, and I'll, I'll, you'll walk on water. You'll be strong. I'll make you firm. That's what it means to have fellowship with God. It means to be in this daily communion with God. Listen, if, if, if God's word truly is God speaking to you today, and he wants to speak intimately to you about your relationships, about school, about work, about home, about the future, about the culture, does that make you hungry for God's word? Doesn't that make you want to be in God's word? What I get concerned about a lot of times is that the longer we're Christians, we have a tendency to treat God's, God's word like it's a textbook. And we study it for the knowledge, and we study it to be, you know, what new truth can I find? What new nuance can I discover? What can I find in that word to use to argue with somebody who's not a believer, or argue with somebody who looks at the faith a little differently than me? Do you ever just open it up and say, God, what do you want to say to me? I need to hear from you today. Confront me, encourage me, correct me, whatever you want to do with God. I'm all ears, I'm all heart. I want to walk with you today. Let's move on. Walking with other sincere followers of God deepens my walk with God. Now, that's a little change up, isn't it? I mean, I, I've been saying walking with God means this, but here we're saying walking with other sincere followers of God 
is what deepens my walk with God. Look what he says in verse 7. He says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I want you to focus on this phrase, we have fellowship with one another. How does my walking with God, how does that, how does that influence my, or how does my fellowship with other believers influence my walk with God? C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Four Loves. In his, in his chapter on friendship, he gives a remarkable illustration. I want you to listen to this. He says there are three friends, Jack, Ronald, and Charles. These guys are three best buddies. They do everything together. They just love hanging out and being with each other. Charles dies. That leaves Jack and Ronald. And Jack and Ronald grieve the death of Charles. They grieve it. And they're trying to find some hope out of it. Jack tells himself, you know something? Now that Charles is gone, I guess what it means is I'll have more of Ronald. I'll have more of his time. I'll have more of his personality because instead of being divided three ways, it's just him and me. But what he discovered as time went on is he did not have more of Ronald. He actually had less of Ronald. How is it that he had less of Ronald? Because there are certain things that Charles brought out of Ronald that were now gone because Charles was gone. It's so interesting to watch relationships, isn't it? You know, there are things that my grandkids bring out of my wife that nobody else can bring out. Things that I observe and I delight in and I enjoy that because of who they are and their relationship to her, it just, I, just see, I just see in her things I don't see otherwise. And, and the same thing with, with other people I know as well. You know, when they're, around, when they're around other people, I see a side of them that I, I wouldn't see if it was just them and me. And the same thing is true about God. Think about this for a minute. That's why we're called the body of Christ. That's why we're called not to be isolated, but to be with each other. Because you know what? My wife, my wife has taught me many things about who God is by virtue of her relationship to God that I would not have otherwise known or experienced. She causes me to see God in different ways. The elders cause me to see God in different ways. The staff causes me to see God in different ways. You cause me. When we get to know each other, we each begin to reveal to each other certain aspects of the mystery of our God. That's why we need each other. That's why if it's just you and God on the lake up north, you're getting a very narrow perspective of who God is. You need others to round that out. It's just how God chooses to work. And you know, you know what I'm saying is true, don't you? Because you experience it in your own life, in your own relationships. In your own relationships. Now, I understand, I'm not a fool, I understand that sometimes we bring out the worst in each other as well. But I'm focusing on what we bring out of each other that's good and true and right. The good things that we're able to bring out. Finally, walking with God means confessing our sins in order to keep the relationship healthy. Walking with God means confessing our sins in order to keep the relationship healthy. Now, I, I talk a lot about my grandkids, and I'm not going to apologize for it, all right? I just I love my grandkids tremendously. But I, I want to let you know they're not perfect. 
And that's because I've contaminated the gene pool, all right, with my sin nature. There are no, there, there's just no perfect person, is there, right? We are, how many of you would agree we're all sinners, all right? Okay. And that you're a sinner. Okay. You may be agreeing the rest of us are. I'll make sure you agree you are, all right? When my grandkids <clears throat> misbehave, when they sin, okay, do they stop being my grandkids? Absolutely not. Do I love them less? Absolutely no. Does it create tension in the relationship? Yes. How do we solve it? The way John says we solve it, when we sin against God as his children. First John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, if we confess, which means agree, our, if we confess our sins, agree with God that we have sinned, he is faithful and just. Now I got a problem there, okay? I'll tell you what it is in a moment. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You say, what's your problem with that? It's a scripture. My problem is that if God is faithful and just, and I believe he is, then he ought not forgive me, he ought to condemn me. What I want to read is if we confess our sins, he is loving and merciful enough to forgive us our sins. But if God is just, what do I deserve? I deserve to be condemned every day because I blow it. So what does he mean? Watch this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. My unrighteousness. Now he says, my dear children, so we know he's talking to believers like you and me, I write this to you so that you will not sin. In other words, the ideal is that you wouldn't sin. But I'm glad, glad for that. If anybody does sin, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous versus unrighteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So God is faithful and just, and he does take out his judgment, but not on us. He takes it out on his son who is a propitiation or who is an atoning sacrifice for you and for me. So it's like, it's, it's like this, and I'm making this scenario up. Dale sins. Dale deserves to be judged and condemned by God who's perfect and demands that Dale be perfect. But before God can strike the judgment, his son shows to him his bloodstained, nail-scarred hands and says, Father, you can't judge him. You already did when you, when you judged me on the cross. I paid the price. And I know it's the 933rd time he's done it. But look at my hands. Look at my scars. You have to pass on him. I paid the price for him. And I stay at the seat at the table with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because of who Christ is and what Christ has done for me. And of course, in Romans chapter 6, Paul has to now deal with the folks who hear that and say, oh, good, that means I can just sin. He's all been thinking, Jeremy, I just go have a great time sinning. He says, may it never be. He uses very strong language there. God didn't you know, Christ didn't die for you so that you have a license to continue to sin. If you really know Christ, you're going to be seeking to obey him and not sin. But when you do, you can confess it because you aren't judged and you aren't condemned. Because he stands eternally, eternally making a case for your forgiveness in God's mercy. Now, I told this story some time ago, maybe a couple years ago. It's a story about Chuck Colson. 
And Chuck Colson, if you remember, because of his part in Watergate, if you know our history, was sent to prison. And he found God, or God found him, and he became born again. He wrote a book, Born Again. And when he got out of prison, he devoted himself to prison ministry. He died a couple years ago, but he devoted himself to prison ministry. He's been to prisons all over the world, advocating for prisoners and obviously preaching the gospel of Christ. He said one day he went to an infamous prison in Brazil. He was a prison that had been taken over by Christians, and they, they ran the prison based on Christian principles. He said he was met at the gate. He was met at the gate by a, a man who was put in prison for murdering somebody. The man let him in, and the man began, uh, began to give him a tour of the prison. And as they toured the prison, he, Colson said, I saw men who should have hated each other getting along with each other, gardening together, painting together, playing together. He said all over the prison, on the walls, everywhere he looked were passages of scriptures from the Psalms and the Proverbs. Can you imagine that happening in a prison in the country today? Everywhere. He said, as he led me down a corridor of cell blocks, he said, the cell block that you see over there, that cell block, that's where the prisoners were tortured, and there's somebody in there right now. And Colson said, well, I want to go. I want to, I want to see this person. And the prisoner said, no, I, I, don't, I don't think you should. And Colson said, look, I have been to the worst prisons in the world. I have met the, the fiercest criminals you could ever meet. I, I want to go. I need to see who's in that prison. And so the man took him there and led him to the prison and opened the door. And Colson said when he walked in, there in front of him, hanging on the wall, was a wooden, was a wooden crucifix that the prisoners had carved. And while he stood looking at Jesus hanging on the cross, the prisoner said quietly to him, he's doing time for the rest of us. That is so beautiful and that is so powerful. That's what Christ does in intercession. As an advocate, he did time for the rest of us so we could be emancipated, free, and forgiving. Would you bow your heads with me, please? You know, before we end this series next weekend, we've been talking about the God who can be known. Do you know God? Do you know God? Do you know him in a personal and real way? Are you walking with God? Is he walking with you? Maybe you're here this weekend or watching online and you don't have that personal relationship. You're religious, but there's no relationship. You're unsure. You have no confidence that, that you belong to God and God belongs to you. You're hoping so. Wouldn't it be awesome this weekend to just surrender your life to God, no matter how young or how old you are? Just abandon your life to Him. If that's where you are and that's what you'd like to do, I just want to give you some words, some meanings that you can express to God. And it's not the words, it is your heartfelt meanings that matter to God. And He can read your meanings. I just want to help you with some words. And if that's where you're at today, you're ready to surrender to Him, just pray these words to God silently with me. Dear Father in heaven, 
thank you for Jesus Christ, your son. I thank you that he died on the cross for my sins. God, I believe, help my unbelief. I don't understand it completely. That you would love me when I don't deserve it. That you would love me and I can't earn that love. So I'm just a mess. I have nothing to hide. I rest my case in front of you, God. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to be the CEO of my life, the captain of my life, the Lord of my life. Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer today and meant it for their heart. That, Father, you would speak deeply to them. That your spirit would bear witness to their spirit. They're yours. You are never going to let go of them. Help them to rest in you. If you pray that prayer today after the service, I hope you'll let us know. Because remember I said, you can't walk alone. You need others to help you because they will bring out certain aspects of God you wouldn't see otherwise. And we want to journey with you that way. See, what this is all about is drawing close to God. Now, I know you got an agenda. I know you're probably busy. But do you think for the next few moments you could just be still? Like we just stand together right now and just sing this song that talks about getting close to God. Join me if you will. And let's just sing closer.